You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Thank you, Maria. How are we doing, Embassy? Good morning, good morning. My name is Chris Cook, like Maria said, Critter Cook, either one works. Uh, it's a good southern nickname. Um, but I'm the lead pastor here at Embassy, and if you're here for the first time, I'm super glad you're here. If you're a guest, uh, and like Maria said, go ahead and fill out that next steps card. Um, I'd love to grab coffee with you, you know, connect, see how I can help you connect in uh, the life of Embassy. Uh, and if you are a friend, uh, not a guest, but you've been coming and you've been sitting in rows for a while, uh, we really do want to move you to what we call horseshoes, our, our city groups. Um, again, like Maria said, hopefully uh, this weekly rhythm to kind of kick off the week and reset your mind and your heart, just listening to the Word of God uh, is, is a priority and it's important and you're coming each and every Sunday, right? And we want to sit under this thing and, and let it speak to us, right? Um, we want this to be the loudest voice, God's voice in our lives, not our own. Um, but um, monologues can only do so much. Okay, uh, preaching can only do so much. Uh, when you get in a city group and you start to dialogue about what we monologue about, and you start to talk about uh, what's talked about on a Sunday, um, like Maria said, life change happens, things happen. And so I really would encourage you, if you've been an embassy friend for a while, to, to move towards uh, deeper connection, deeper uh, relationship, deeper intimacy. Uh, God does not have only children. He has sons and daughters, and so we need to act like it. Uh, and part of that is just moving towards uh, one another. Uh, and then I'll, I'll tack this last thing uh, onto that. If you have been in a city group for a while, um, but you don't feel super connected, stick at it, okay? Um, connection requires uh, intentionality, but also time, and you can only control one of those, okay? And so keep being inten intentional, keep leaning in, but it takes time. You know, I love Ben Rector and his song, You Can't Make Old Friends. Uh, it just takes some time to develop these things. Um, we have city groups because we don't do connection and community well. It's a program, right? There's the, there's the ugly underbelly of, of church programming. You program what you don't naturally have, what you don't naturally do. Um, and so we want um, acts to kind of community. We want community that is, is loving and sacrificial and really intimate. Um, and so we designed these things called city groups. Um, there it is, uh, to, to get at that. And we know they're successful when real connection happens outside of them. And so just keep leaning in, keep leaning in to, to other people, um, and, and it'll happen, uh, and it'll come in time. Now, I want to do this. I want to introduce our sermon series. This carpet is like super lumpy. I'm, I'm going to trip one of these days. There's just cords that we're like stacking under here, so it looks good for you, but it's really dangerous for me. Um, our new sermon series leading up to April 17th, which will be Embassy's one-year birthday, which is Easter Sunday, um, which is kind of crazy to think that we're, we're not in a year old, and God's just, God's already doing so much in, in, in so many lives here, um, and we, we ask him for more, but um, as we lead up to April 17th, we're going to be in a new sermon series looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, and we've actually titled it The Gospel Period, okay? The Gospel Period. Um, but our, our previous sermon series, uh, we walked through Kingdom Advance, okay? And so if, you, if I can draw your attention back to that, we walked through the book of Acts and looked at the gospel's expansion from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I don't remember if, if, if you can recall the illustration, but I tried to tried to point out that in historical narrative like Acts, it really spans a 30, 35, 40-year period of, of the early church, okay? And you can take these epistles, these letters of the Apostle Paul especially, but other uh, New Testament authors, and you can almost slot them into Acts, 
Okay, and so the book of Galatians slots in to Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15. And, and that's Paul's first missionary journey. The apostle Paul, who's this opponent of the church, right? He's this, this radical, um, zealous, religious fanatic. is just changed, absolutely changed by encountering the living, resurrected Jesus. And he goes on these missionary journeys where he's preaching the good news, the gospel that we're going to look at. And Acts 13 and, and 14 is his first missionary journey where he's, he's traveling into what's modern-day Turkey. He's traveling up into the Roman Empire to the, to the Gentile world, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's making disciples, and he's planting churches, okay? And, and this is the region called Galatia, okay? Years later, these churches, these young believers are wandering from the gospel that Paul originally preached from them. They're abandoning what they originally held conviction to. And so Paul writes the, the book of Galatians um, to, to challenge them. He's going, you're adding to the gospel, and in adding to it, you're adulterating it. And going gospel plus, not gospel period, you're changing it completely. And revising the gospel, you're actually reversing it. And it's, it's stern. It's a rebuke, okay? Uh, and we'll see that this morning as we, we open up Galatians. But it's not just a, re a rebuke. It's, it's also meant to reassure these young believers, this young church of what the gospel actually is. Because I don't know if you figure this out or not, our tendency is to wander. It is to leave it. And so Paul um, writes this letter as a rebuke, but then also as a reassurance of the gospel and, and moving these Galatian Christians, these new believers, away from the gospel plus and back to the gospel period. Okay, so that's where we're going to be. Uh, if you have a, a, a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in the first nine verses. If you have a Bible app, you can turn there. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, table of contents uh, is, is a good place to go for directions. But I want to kind of start with this question. Um, and it might sound strange at first, but just stick with me. Um, when is it wrong to not yell at your kids? All right, so if you have kids, I want you to think about that in, in your own parenting. When is it wrong to not yell at your kids? But if you don't have kids, I want you to think about it as if you're a kid. And, and when would it have been wrong for your parents not to yell at you? Okay, when is it wrong for your parents to not yell at you? Now, now parents can certainly be wrong in yelling at their kids, but there are certain circumstances, I would argue, that it, it not only makes sense to yell at your kids, it's absolutely inappropriate to not, Okay. I'm not talking about berate your kids. I'm not talking about just like crush their little spirits and stuff like that. But, but there's, there's certain circumstances where it would actually be wrong to not yell at your kids, okay? Um, you have a 18-month-old and you're playing in the front yard and you look up and the 18-month-old is doing what the 18-month-old does and, and running in the street, right? The, the front yard is not fun. Somehow the street is fun and a car's coming. Do you yell at your kid? Absolutely. You scare them safe. And it would be really inappropriate and really weird and negligent for you to not. You're not like, hey, buddy, 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 buddy. Come here, buddy, buddy, buddy. Right? You're not like coaxing your kid like it's a chicken or something like that. You're screaming at your 18-year-old, I told you to not go in the street. And you want to scare them safe. You want to put the fear of dad in them. Am I right? Are you tracking with me? Like there are, there, every parent's like, yes, the justification for my anger and not walking by the spirit. No, that's not what this is, but, but there are certain circumstances where it'd be weird to not, wrong to not, uh, inappropriate to not raise your tone, bring intensity, even yell at your children. All right, maybe your, your kids are older, it's not 18 months, it's 18 years, and, and your dad on a business trip, and, and you come home, and your 18-year-old has friends over, and decides to have a great time and get in dad's liquor cabinet, and get out dad's handgun, and show off to his friends. Are you not yelling at your son? 
right? Are you not putting the fear of dad in him, right? His frontal lobe isn't fully developed and he hasn't been able to process through the massive, massive um, risk he is putting himself and his friends in by putting alcohol and a gun in the same scene and playing around and joking around. Like, I think you're going to yell. And if anybody had that experience, I would hope your dad yelled at you, okay? Like, there's an intensity that, 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 is, that is appropriate. There's a tone that should be there. And in a way, that's the tone that you get throughout the whole book of Galatians. Believe it or not, that's the tone that you get when you open the book of Galatians, Right? So, so if you're having your quiet time tomorrow morning and you open the book of Galatians and you sip your little latte and you're just like, mm, Holy Spirit, speak to me, and you read it and you're like, la, 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 la. That is not at all the tone that you should be reading in. You should hear some, some fervor, some anger, some frustration. It's a rebuke. It's a scare you silly, get on the right path because there is danger ahead kind of challenge. All right, so that's what we're going to look at. That's what I want us to, to kind of frame up our reading of the first couple of verses of Galatians because the Apostle Paul is telling these Christians, you are in danger and you don't even see it. You think it's nothing to add to the gospel, but when you add to the gospel, you are adulterating it. You are absolutely changing it, and it's serious, okay? So, I'm going to read for us. I'm going to read starting in verse 1, but we're going to focus in on verses 6 through 9. But I'll, I'll cover a little bit of what we, what we hit last week. Uh, and if you missed last week, you can find the podcast uh, online uh, and listen and catch up. But this is Galatians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here, verse 6. He says this. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As I have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to, the, to what you received, a curse be on him. Do you hear the tone? Do you hear the intensity? Do you hear the yell? Because if you don't, you're reading it wrong. What Paul is pointing out to these young Christians, to this young church, is you're not a tick off. You're 180 degrees. And there's something so fundamental to the gospel that we have to understand that when we add to it, we actually adulterate it. And there's some serious ramifications for it. Now, again, um, if you read Acts... Acts 13 and 14 kind of color in the context of, of what's going on with these churches being planted. Acts 15 gives us what's known as the Jerusalem Council. This, this, this coming together of leaders in the church in Jerusalem, but also Paul and Barnabas and other leaders um, that have been reaching out to the Gentile world and going, hey, let, let's make sure we're saying the same thing, right? Um, this is the gospel, right? We're, we're on the same page. We're preaching the same message, okay? Um, and, and it gives us a little context to what's going on in Galatians. So I'm going to read Acts 15, 1 for us, and it, it kind of summarizes um, the, the controversy that, that we're stepping into the middle of. So this is Acts 15, 1. 
It says, some men came down from Judea, because Judea is, is high, but on a map it's actually below, right? But they came down from Judea uh, and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved, okay? Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And here's the controversy. You have Jewish Christians who are telling Gentile Christians that it's the gospel plus. It's the gospel plus circumcision and following the law. All right, to say it another way, to actually become a Christian, you have to become a Jew first. Okay, now, the first Christians were Jews, but as the gospel is spreading, it's spreading into the Gentile world, and so you, you have to, to deal with the law, you have to deal with circumcision, you have to, to deal with all these things that are, that are there, and, and, and Paul does that, but, but he doesn't want to miss the core message of the gospel in the midst of it, okay? So you have to ask the question, what, what of circumcision, what of the law? They, they have value, they're important, and we don't have time to get into it here and now, but what Paul's focused on, what we need to hear, is that even something as good as circumcision or as good as the law for all its purposes, it doesn't make one righteous before God. Paul writes it this way in Romans, that a righteousness from God has been revealed apart from the law. And so both Jew and Gentile are righteous before God because of his grace received through faith. Not because of keeping the law, certainly not because of some outward mark of circumcision. It's the work of God through Christ on the cross, and it's the believing through faith. It's, it's mere grace through faith, okay? This is Paul and Barnabas', Barnabas argument. This is what Acts 15 breaks down, and this is what we're stepping in the middle of uh, as we open Galatians. So I want us to look back at our passage, okay? Again, in adding to the gospel, what these Jewish Christians, these false teachers, these Judaizers were doing is they were adulterating it. They were absolutely changing the message of grace. All right, are you tracking with me? And again, I want you to hear his tone. He says this very clearly. Anyone, these teachers, even he himself, or an angel from heaven, anyone who preaches a gospel contrary to the grace of Christ, and I want you to get the intensity, he says, go to hell. Sit in it for a second. It's not minor. Read the passage. Let him be accursed. Be damned. It is so severe what's going on here that Paul can't not raise his voice, intensify his tone, and going, this isn't a little thing. When you get away from the gospel, when you add to it in any way, you adulterate it. You change it. And it's not just changing the equation, because when you get away from the gospel, you get away from the giver of the gospel. You get away from the person of Christ. The imagery here is you change teams. You put on a different jersey. You switch sides. And that's serious. So here's the quick questions this should make us ask. What's the true gospel? Okay, because this is pretty intense, right? This is pretty serious. Why is it so easy to turn away from, and how do we turn back to it? What's the true gospel? 
Why is it so easy to turn away from, and how do we turn back to it? And we've already looked at what's the true gospel uh, a little bit, but I, I want to I circle back to it. Um, so what's the true gospel, the gospel of Christ? Why is it so easy to turn away from, how do we turn back to it? Look up at verse 3 through 5. This is the gospel. Verses 3 through 5. What Paul opens with, he says, grace and peace to you. It's the announcement of good news from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And he did it according to God's will and all for God's glory. That's the gospel. God stepping into human history and the person of Jesus Christ and being the, 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 the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. And all of that because he is loving, not because you or I or anyone else in humanity is lovable. It comes out of his nature, not in response to ours. That's the gospel. Now, uh, if you go to Berlin uh, today, you can actually go see a different kind of gospel. You can go into the Berlin Museum, and you can see what's known as the gospel of Caesar. Do you know that there's actually different gospels, right? So, so the way Paul writes this, he's going, look, there's only one true gospel, but there's false gospels. And you can actually go read an inscription of a false gospel, the gospel of Caesar in the Berlin Museum. Uh, it was found in Prien, Turkey. Uh, it's an inscription called the, uh, the Prien calendar inscription. Um, and, and it says something to this effect, okay? Um, it says, man, Caesar's the best. He's awesome. He's divine. So we need to reorder our entire calendar around him because under his divine rule as a sovereign, we who are his subjects are going to experience peace and prosperity. And it actually uses the Greek word evangelon, gospel, good news, right? So, so gospel is an extra biblical term that, that the biblical writers took, and it should color in how Mark maybe opens his gospel, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a direct confrontation of the gospel of Caesar, and it says something about who the Savior is and what his rule and reign would bring. Now, I'll bring it maybe to, to more present day, um, to, to the political sector, right? It, it's a campaign promise. It says something about who the person running is, right? Nobody's standing up going, man, I'm divine, though they kind of act like it. I'm going to change all these things in four short years. Yeah, sure you are, okay? Um, and then under my rule, under my reign, if you follow me, these are the things that are going to flow from it. And so the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, was a, it was a gospel of sorts. People buying into the glory of Rome, the image of Rome. Right? And those things are obvious. It's like, okay, well, that's a false gospel, gospel of Caesar. I'm going gospel of Jesus. But what are, what are other false gospels that you and I hear and believe each and every day? What are other ways that you and I very subtly not so obviously add to the gospel and in doing so, adulterate it. False gospels that, that, that put forward someone other than Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and promise more freedom than they could actually provide, right? That, that's the mark of a false gospel. They put forward a different Lord and they promise something they could never provide. Let me give you a, a, a less political, more personal, okay? Um, just be nice. Just be nice, we then have a yard signs like that in this town. Just be a good person. Just be more tolerant. Now, these are virtues, sure, and do I hope them for everyone in here? Absolutely. But what I want to get at, and I don't want to lose you in this section, is what's underneath that statement. What belief is tethered to the proclamation? If I'm just nice enough or good enough or tolerant enough, then whatever vague idea I have of prosperity and even eternal prosperity, I'm going to get. 
Who's it elevating as Lord and Savior? Me, us. And I have absolutely no capacity to deliver on that. And it just puts me or you or any of us in a hamster wheel of effort and energy and works. And we're working out the law. We're adding to the gospel of grace. That God loves us out of who he is, not out of who we are. That God's pleasure towards us is not based upon our effort, but Christ alone. That's the gospel of grace. And we proclaim false gospels to ourselves all the time. And again, the, the virtue is not the false gospel. It's the belief under the virtue. I can give us some more. Um, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't kill anyone and pay your taxes. You know, uh, and now again, those are, those are clear commands. But underneath that, what's the belief? Is it rightly ordered? Is it out of a response to obey God because he's God and he deserves your obedience? Or is there something underneath there that you believe if you do those things, God takes pleasure in you? Right? Underneath it all, there's a fundamental, I think, insecurity that human beings have, which makes the gospel of grace so uncomfortable. It's so hard to just receive. And so we want to top it off like a big gulp at a soda fountain. We want to add to it. In doing so, we change it. And again, I, I want you to hear me. Um, God accepts us because of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus, not because of what you do in response to that. The acceptance is already there. God's good pleasure is already there. That's the beauty of grace, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. Now, the gospel is not opposed to effort, but it's what order are you putting that effort in. It is opposed to earning. You and I, when we stand before God, are going to stand either in Christ's righteousness, the one righteous one, or our self-righteousness. Which one is it? For these Galatian Christians, it was Christ's righteousness, plus I'm going to like stick my toe in my own righteousness. And what Paul's saying is, that's not just a tick off, that's completely off. That's a works-based religion. And Christianity is anti-religion in the traditional sense. You get that? So the gospel is not just for the irreligious. It's for the religious. It's for you who grew up in southern Indiana and grew up with conservative values. But beneath those values, you don't have the convictions, beliefs, or the hope that God loves you because he is loving and he shows it to you because he sent his son to die for you while you were still a sinner and you couldn't do anything about it. And that hasn't melted your heart. That hasn't rocked your world. And so you're performing and you're working and it's exhausting because you've gotten away from the gospel of grace. And Paul says, stop. Stop right where you're at. Don't add to it. Now I want to give a, a couple um, pieces to what the gospel is. And, and, and like Maria said, I, I want to hold up the gospel each and every Sunday here like a diamond. I, I want us to, to put it up in the light and just look at different facets of it because it's inexhaustible. It's not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's not just the message you need to hear to come to Christ. It's the message you need to hear daily to walk with Christ. It's the A to Z. And so I, I want to just kind of hold up and look at different facets. Two of them I want to look at real quick. Um, and if you haven't noticed, I'm going to go a little longer. They're changing the time on me. I got you, Mikey. Uh, I'm preaching, baby. Um, <laughs> The gospel is singular and it's sufficient. 
It's singular and it's sufficient. I want to use an example with the Mona Lisa. Okay? Um, If I were to stand here today and I were to try and sell you the Mona Lisa, you'd laugh at me. Why? Because there's one. It's in the Louvre. It's in Paris. Right? You want to even, like, think. Like, okay, so you don't have $870 million, but say you did, right? And that's, that's, it's, it's a priceless work of art. You know, France won't let them sell it, but theoretically, it's worth $870 million. Say you did. Say you're Jeff Bezos. You'd laugh because I don't have the Mona Lisa because there's one. Like, you, you wouldn't even be tempted to buy it. There is one gospel. There's not many of them. And, and, and it's so hard for us to grasp in our plural context, uh, our, our context where, where plurality just reigns, that, that like the exclusiveness of the gospel is almost like, and we hesitate on it. But there, there's one, and it's beautiful. Like, fly to Paris, go to the Louvre, and just look at it. Now, the, the illustration breaks down. I was actually sharing this with, with somebody the other day because I, I started to work on the illustration, and I found out there's actually more than one Mona Lisa. Did you know this? There's actually more than one. Um, you can actually go to, to Madrid, Spain, and, and see one. And there's an argument of which one's the original. But there, there is one Mona Lisa as we know it, one famous one. Uh, and it actually didn't become famous until 1911 because it was actually stolen from the Louvre, and that added to its fame. And I have art history majors going, oh, that's true, that's true. A bunch of useless information that you learned in college. Now coming back to you. But there, there's multiple ones in private collections. Every illustration breaks down. But, but, but you get my point that the gospel is singular and we need to be people who can recognize it for what it is. See it and go, bro, that's the gospel. Or better yet, that's not the gospel. And, and again, the, the gospel of Caesar are these really broad things out here. Those are a little easier. It's like, all right, Caesar's calling himself a god. He's trying to reorient the calendar around himself. I don't think that squares. But what about these little G gospels that we tell ourselves each and every day? We got to be able to kind of to do the, the stick test, right? How do you know a stick's straight? You, you lay a straight stick next to it, you know? Like we, we got to be able to stare at the gospel over and over and over again and let just saturate our heart and mind so that we can, we can see when we're off. So the gospel is singular, um, but, it, but it's not only singular, okay, uh, it's sufficient, it's perfect, it's complete, it's absolute. Um, I'm going to stick with, with the Mona Lisa. What if I were to actually have $807 million and, and buy the Mona Lisa, but decide to touch it up? <laughs> like it's old, right? And old things are, are just not as good, right? Everything new is better. You know, that's kind of how we think, you know, it's just like old technology. So I'm just, I'm, I'm going to touch it up. It would look like a Walmart smiley face. It would be terrible. I would ruin it. In adding to the Mona Lisa, I would absolutely adulterate it. It would just like, it would be ruined. And that's, that's in a way what we do when we add to the gospel. We think we can just touch it up. It's like, surely Jesus' death plus a couple things that I do. Surely, God, that would make you smile upon me. And Paul's going, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. The gospel is singular. The gospel is sufficient. It is perfect. It is complete. It is absolute. So why is it so easy to turn from? All right. Why is the gospel of grace so easy for us to turn from? And why is it such a temptation for us to add to it? 
And again, I'm focusing on the addition. We can subtract from it, but, but usually we add to it. Why is it so tempting? All right, let me exemplify personally. Um, this, is, this is critter. I'm just going to kind of like bear my soul, okay? Um, deep within me, deep within my flesh, I have a deep sense of insecurity that I struggle with, okay? Um, I have a deep sense of insecurity, and I ask myself this question a lot. It plays out a lot of different ways in my life. Uh, the question is, am I enough? And fundamentally, I do not feel like I am. Am I enough? This is, this is the one thing that when I heard the gospel as a young man, uh, just made me so, um, just, it, it captivated me. Because it was God speaking to me, over me speaking to myself, you are enough in Christ. Right? You're, you're not enough, but in Christ you are. Right? And so it just made the gospel so beautiful to me. Okay? Um, the false gospel that I would preach to myself over and over again um, is I'm not enough. And so I became a moralist. Right? I, I became a good kid. I'm one of seven kids, and, and I got to watch my older brothers do stupid stuff. I'm like, I ain't doing that. And so I was better than them. Or, or I, had, I hung out with friends, and some of them were just nuts. And I'm like, well, uh, if, if he's doing all right, I'm doing, I'm doing all right, you know. And I had the subjective kind of comparative morality. It's this little G gospel that, that I, I would just preach to myself. And, and I grew up in and around the church, right? I heard of the death, burial, resurrection. But, but that was almost like an equation that I had to believe rightly. And if I got that just right, then God was going to be pleased with me. That's not the gospel of the grace of Christ. That you and I are sinners that deserve just judgment and condemnation for our sin. But Jesus came on a rescue mission, and it cost him his life. And pulling us out of the waters of judgment, he drowned. And through faith alone, we can hold on to that. That's the gospel of grace, okay? In revising the gospel, what I was doing was reversing it. You see that? In revising, I was reversing to it. I wasn't adding to it. I was putting works first and primary, and that's not grace. What's your question? What's your little G gospel? What do you listen to over and over and over again that you need the word of God to speak more loudly in? This is why we come and we sit under this every Sunday. You shouldn't trust yourself. I don't trust mine. Because for the longest time, I didn't say what was true. And man, I started to listen to this. And what the, what the word of God said was, was so freeing. Yes, you're not enough, but you are in Christ. How freeing. I don't have to keep earning God's favor. I don't have to keep posturing towards a watching world. I can just be, and I'm accepted. The beauty of the gospel now, application, and I want to tie us off this way. How do we turn back to it? If it's so easy to wander from, if, if we listen to these little G gospels all the time, how do we turn back to it? I want you to notice real quick um, what Paul writes in verse 6. So if you have your Bible, look, verse 6, I'm going to read it again. Paul says this. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him, from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, I want you to hear this. In turning away from the proclamation of the gospel, you're turning away from a person. Okay? Again, John Stott is the one that uses this imagery of switching teams, of, of putting on a different jersey. He, he calls us religious turncoats. 
I love that. It's so British. John Stott's British. Religious turncoats, spiritual deserters, okay? In turning away from the proclamation, we turn away from the person. And there's a key there in how we turn back to it, is we actually don't just turn back to it, we turn back to him. That you don't just get the concept right, like it's not this equation that we, we just got to get right. You turn back to Christ, the person. The one that, that when you believe the little G gospel, you're turning from in repentance, and that's what repentance is, it's an about face. You turn around and you trust him. And Christians need to preach the gospel to themselves every day. I believe this today. I believe what is true that you say about me more than what I say about myself. And little by little by little, when the Christian does that, the Christian grows, the Christian matures, the Christian changes. When that truth, that dynamite gets in our hearts, it explodes and, and, and radically alters people. And that little change in people starts little changes in families and little changes in neighborhoods and communities and little changes in societies and little changes in the world. And that's how it works. So I want to close with this idea. What kind of church would embassy be if this was so? Think about it. A community of 150 people, if if every day we believe the gospel, period. If every day we just, we sat in the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, powerful stuff, huh? Right off all these kind of things, but what would it look like if we were a gospel-gazing kind of people? If the way we saw ourselves and the way we saw others was through this lens of the gospel, it would be transformative. It would be unlike any other community you've ever been a part of. It'd be unlike any other community that this city has ever seen or experienced. Because the gospel changes people. My hope, my prayer, and the bank can come forward, is that we would be this kind of people. That as we look through the book of Galatians, as we open up the word of God, as we look at the gospel period, that it would sincerely, in the best way, be enough that we wouldn't move beyond it, we wouldn't move past it, we wouldn't add to it, we just rest in it. And ultimately, we'd receive it. So I'll pray for us. We'd be that kind of people that receive the gospel, period. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the rebuke of it. We're necessary. We thank you for the reminder of it. We're necessary. We thank you for the encouragement of it. We're necessary. And I pray, I pray that the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ would be so much more clear and, and tangible and, and real to each and every person in here. For the, the ones in here that are not your sons and daughters, that are, that are seeking because you're leading them, that today would be a stake in the sand kind of day, a day that they look back on and go, my trajectory changed because I stopped walking away from the Lord and started walking to him. I started to learn to trust again. And for the Christian here, for the son and the daughter, I pray that they would be matured, that they would grow because the gospel just saturates their hearts. That this message would be something that infuses itself in us as a community, in us as a spiritual family. 
It makes us look different. It makes us look beautiful. Beautiful to you and beautiful to a watching world. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. We thank you for the righteousness that he affords us apart from the law. And we cling to him in faith. It's in his name that I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.